0: We stay together. We survive. We survive.
1: What we've got here is failure to communicate. Stick together.
0: Stick together. In the name of unit cohesion. Cohesion. cohesion.
1: Cohesion. Cohesion.
2: You are listening to the Cohesion Podcast actionable tips from internal comms leaders on how to improve your company's employee experience. This episode features an interview with Ben Matthews. Senior Director of Internal Communications at NVIDIA. Ben has spent his entire career in communications. He's a recognized industry leader and a speaker who has previously worked for Google, eBay, and Crown Castle. In this episode, Ben and Amanda discuss building an internal comms program from scratch, how to prove value to leaders, and why internal communicators are the imagineers of business. Before we dive into the interview, here's a brief word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Simpler, the modern intranet software that simplifies the employee experience. If you are looking to increase employee engagement, collaboration, and connectivity, Simpler is your answer. Learn more at Simpler.com. Without further ado, please enjoy this conversation between Ben Matthews, Senior Director of Internal Communications at NVIDIA, and your host, Amanda Barry corporate brand and communications manager at Simpler.
0: Ben, thank you for joining me today. How are you doing?
2: I am
1: doing well, thank you. It is a beautiful day in Northern California.
0: It is a cold day in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. (laughs) But I want to, first off, you have such an interesting background, so I want to start there. You know, a lot of these people bounce around between different levels of corporate before finding communication, but every professional position you've had has been in comms. So talk a little bit about, like, how you got started in comms, what your interest is, and then maybe just a quick preview of your background.
1: Sure. I like a a lot of communicators and internal communicators from back in the day. I kind of fell into internal communications. I never sat talking to the careers counsellor going, I want to do internal communications. It just kind of happened. And it happened because I was working for a bank in the UK and I was actually working in the call centre there. And we had these huge manuals on our desks that were literally like two feet long of different kind of policy and process documents. And I'd always been slightly geeky and slightly into the internet. And that was a new thing at that time. And i just heard about intranets. And so I kept pitching to the boss of the call center that I could take all this stuff and put it onto an intranet. And then I had to explain the concept of what an intranet was. And then I had to explain the concept of what the internet was at the time.
0: <laughs> that and, long ago, uh, huh? <laughs> yeah, it was. <laughs> I'm
1: showing my age already. But Eventually, they let me do a pilot. And that kind of was my in into internal communications. It went from there to setting up an intranet for the whole of the bank. And then I dabbled in PR and government affairs as well, before eventually deciding that internal comms was probably where I got the most satisfaction
0: sounds an awful lot like my background. I didn't start a bank in the UK, but uh, just having a different role and sort of falling into it, making some offers to do that. So that's very interesting. I'm excited to learn more about your current roles or your current role. Could you just talk a little bit about your current role at NVIDIA?
1: It's going to be a slightly limited conversation because I've only been there a few months. I joined NVIDIA right before they were named um, America's uh, Best Workplace by Glassdoor. So I kind of feel as a communicator, there's no worse time to join a, a business that, when they get an accolade like that because the best you can do is is help the business maintain that. But it's a truly special business and it's, it's growing rapidly. And my role there is to really support the team, develop the team that's there, and wrap a little bit more structure to allow us to continue to grow and scale. That, for me, is the, the heart of what I'm trying to do there.
0: i want to move into our first segment called Storytime. Welcome to Storytime. Storytime. Story time. Let me give you a story. So let's move into... Back to your, your a previous role you had, a VP of Internal Communications at Crown Castle. When you got there, there was no internal communications. That's not super uncommon. I mean, I've had experience of building internal communication programs and I'm sure a lot of our listeners have, or they might be in a position where that's going to happen to them, right? A company hasn't put thought into it, so now that's what you're here to do. Talk a little bit about what it's like to build an internal communications program from the ground up.
1: First, if if you ever get the chance as a as an internal communicator do it it's a phenomenal opportunity and it comes along so rarely the key i think is to understand business objectives and where the business is trying to get to and then marry up what the internal comms team is looking to do to those business objectives and start small and build but at the same time have really high aspirations for yourself and for the team. I don't think any established business ever truly has no internal communications. There's always things happening. There's always communications going on. But the key is to bring those together, to go and talk to your stakeholders. And Crown was really where I I kind of signed up to the concept of employee experience as a development of internal communications. And so therefore going and partnering with the IT folks, partnering with the facilities folks, with the HR teams, with security, all of those are super important to the employee experience.
0: Is there something that when you look back on that that you would have done differently?
1: Oh, hindsight is a wonderful thing. There are always um, things that I would have done differently. I think I would have pushed more on continuing to build out kind of different channels. I was super lucky that Crown to have a CEO who's really looking in a similar way to what I look at things, which is what if? What if we tried this? I was able to do things, Crown, that were well outside the traditional sphere of internal communications. Crown was was building a a new office building. And the CEO asked me to be involved in that and to bring that internal employee perspective to the physical office space we were building, which is great because I think internal communicators really do bring a different view to others. And that's not that others aren't doing their job. It's just that our jobs are slightly different. Our views are slightly different. And when you bring all that together, that's where you get truly good stuff happening. So I would have done more of that to answer your question directly. I think internal communicators, like employee experience folks, we need to get out of our boxes more. Okay. Like go and use that curiosity that, you know, I've heard, listened to the podcast many times. People always talk about curiosity on here and that's true. Use that curiosity.
0: Let me go back to something you said about your partnering with IT and security. That's is something that we do talk about on here a lot. And I'm curious if you have any advice for people who are looking to build stronger relationships with IT partners, or HR partners, or even leaders when you're doing something like this. Like what advice would you give someone who's looking to build those relationships?
1: I think the first thing is, and this is going to sound super obvious, but spend time building the relationship. Just go and talk to people without having a, an explicit or implicit agenda. There's a, there's a book by a very famous coach from Silicon Valley, or it was about him, Bill Campbell. And Bill Campbell would always recommend that people start meetings just talking about anything other than the thing that we're there to do, because it builds rapport, it builds understanding. You get to know who people are, what their interests are. And that's really important, I think. And particularly the more senior you go in any organisation, it all becomes about reputation. And reputation is built on trust, and trust is built on understanding of that person.
0: Yeah, absolutely. As you're working with leaders and thinking about that, is there a lesson you've learned that you would like to share with the group?
1: I've been lucky enough and and continue to be to work with some amazing senior leaders. And I think the thing to understand with them is the amount of time pressures they have, the amount of headspace they have available for the things that you're looking to talk about. Being able to listen, to understand, and then to action from those things is really important for senior leaders. And I think the more senior a leader is, the more they're looking for you to listen to their point of view, understand what they're trying to do, and then challenge or activate
0: around that. I want to move to someone called Seat at the Table.
2: First, get a seat at the table. Get a seat at the table. You
0: want a seat at the table this is something that comes up a lot the role that internal communications plays in business business strategy business overall success of a business right thinking about internal communications as business partners and not su- support staff right diplomats with no power how do you how have you successfully gotten a seat at the table and been able to to serve more as a as a business partner than support staff helping leaders write emails
1: i think this is something that communicators sometimes do to themselves. Again, we put ourselves in this box because it's often comfortable. It's, it's a much more comfortable place to be. And I naturally skew introverts. There is always a temptation for me to kind of just lock the door and focus inwards. But I think internal communications is just this fascinating area because there's a few things at play. One, you're right with diplomats. Internal communications rarely has any direct power. Like Internal comms are all the diplomats of the business. It is the exercise of soft power. And that's why it comes back to relationships. And those relationships become key.
0: I do want to keep touch on this because I think this is so important, this idea of helping internal communications get power. And I know one of the ways you know that I've been thinking about this, and we've been talking about this a bit more in the, this industry, is you know showing return on investment and showing our value. And I'd love to hear what you do in that space, like how do you show value, the, the value that internal communications bring to the business, to leaders, to employees?
1: The value we bring is really an understanding of our employees. And therefore, the first thing I'll always look to do in any business is is to get out there and talk to people. Google always used to call them canaries. A group of people that had had signed up to be the canary in the coal mine on things that we were thinking of doing or asking what-if questions. What if we did this? How would you feel? That's super important because that level of insight is not present and i don't feel you can get it from surveys a lot of the time
0: yeah that's an interesting point i've I've actually had this conversation with someone recently i had like people in business you know when i'm in an organization where i feel like they trust me to tell me how they're feeling so i can almost use them as that canary in the coal mine hey what do you think about this if we did this or what did you think about that presentation and they would be able to give me their full filter unfiltered feedbacks, just to help me temperature gauge around the the business and maybe that's what you're talking about
1: But you can formalize that, right? With anything, there's a flip side to it. So, how many times have we, as internal communicators, had to face into the leader who's talked to three people, and therefore that view shared by those three people is mirrored in the other thousand, ten thousand, hundred thousand people who work for the company? So there has to be a bit more process around it than just I went and had a conversation with a couple of friends and something like a like things like enduring focus groups which are like groups of people who in essence sign up to say I want to give you my opinion on all these things so you skip around this concept of we can't ask these people too much because they'll get survey fatigue it's like People who've signed up to this are saying, no, I want to be asked my opinion, bring it on. And so to be able to set those groups up around a business is really powerful. And it allows you to gather near real-time feedback. And some companies are doing it real-time. Right? I I remember seeing at Microsoft um, Satya, the CEO there, used to have like a sentiment meter in his company, All Hands. And you could literally see what the employee base was loving and what they weren't loving in terms of the messages that were getting delivered.
0: Live analytics, that's incredibly powerful tool for leaders to use. I remember doing that kind of stuff like with live polling, right? I remember uh, back in the day, we could have little polling buttons. This is a little bit different. Understand how they're feeling a bit more, you know, what they're liking. Big more sentiment check, I think is what what you're mentioning there.
1: Yeah, dial analysis. People have a a virtual dial that they turn between 5 and 1 or 1 and 10, depending on their sentiment of what they're hearing.
0: How do you think that would change leaders if they had that immediate sort of feedback? If you're in a meeting and they're getting immediate feedback, how might that impact what's being done?
1: I think most leaders I've worked with are honestly looking for that. More leaders have always come to me and said, what do you think than waiting for me to send them a report? What did I do well? What did I not do well? Where can I improve? I've been blessed in terms of the leaders I've got to work with, but there's always been an openness to listen to The internal communicators in the business there around these things leaders like a sense of immediate feedback and anything you can do that doesn't require sending out a survey and then waiting a week for that survey to come back it's not that that's not a good way of doing it it's that if a leader likes that immediate feedback find a way to deliver it you can still do the survey you can still do the survey you can track benchmarks all of those great things but there is something for leaders that they like that immediacy because, again, they are time poor and they move on very quickly. So if you come back to a leader two weeks later with, here's what you did on that all hands two weeks ago, like they will have moved on and it will therefore be difficult them for them to associate feedback because they're just not there. They've dealt with 100 issues since then.
0: Yeah, incorporating that and, and using that for the next time. It's a lot better when it comes immediate. I completely agree. So let me just ask one more question about this. Talk about the professionalization of internal comms. What are the best internal comms teams doing to cement their status in the industry?
1: I, I think we are professional. Generally, I don't think there's anyone listening to this podcast right now would consider themselves anything other than a professional. I think where we can still learn, and this goes back to talking about having a seat at the table. I don't need a seat at the table per se, because that alone might not be valuable. What I need is is the ability to influence at the right time and the right level. And if that's done in like virtual meetings, that's great, but there are many other ways to influence around that. There is a need to really look at internal communications from a strategic perspective and there is a need to look not just at internal communications, but where we can play from the overall employee experience. I do worry at times that we get these sort of name trends going on in job titles, and that, you know, 10 years ago, everyone that was saying they were internal communications suddenly changed to be head of employee engagement. And now I think you're seeing that change again from people changing from internal comms and employee engagement to employee experience. And that's great because that shows progress, but it's only progress if we're doing more than changing our names, if we're genuinely out there looking to influence. And the truth is no one can own employee experience. It's it's too broad a subject for any one team to own. Where I do think we play is we can act as that connective tissue and glue to bring different people together, to bring the HR team together, the IT team, security facilities, whomever it may be. We can be the Imagineers of a business, the people who help dream the big dreams. Disney Imagineers are the folks that ask those what if questions, but it takes an army of decorators and engineers and electricians and technicians and computer scientists and model makers and all of these other things to turn that imagination into reality. I believe that internal comms can be the imagineers of the business.
0: I love that. I absolutely love that idea. When you said imagineers, I mean, they thought of Disney and what the imagineers do there. But you're right. Employee experience is huge. I mean, that starts starts when people interview, right? The employee experience starts to me, in the interview process?
1: Arguably starts before. It starts at the merest thought of consideration of the company. So before candidates become active candidates and it runs until well after those people have left. There are a number of companies out there doing alumni networks now for people who've left the business because they've identified that one, they are phenomenal brand ambassadors. If you leave the business because you, you it was just, your time like it was just time to move on and you enjoyed your time but you've got something new something bigger something better that another company's offering you still retain generally if the company was good a passion for that company that you will share with other people i i have this i have this with google i think google is a wonderful company and i would advocate for anybody who's looking for a job to consider google even though i no longer work there
0: that is the beginning of, of a lot of the employee experience, right? Me hearing you say that impacts how I would think about Google if I were to apply there. That's a really great insight. I want to move on to the next amount called RIP from the Headlines. You hear the news? Extra, extra, read all about it. Our stories rip from, the RIP from the Headlines. RIP from the Headlines. Because I want to talk about Google. And I have a question about Google and your time there. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask about it. Your first few months at Google were marked by a lot of different things happening, right? Pandemic racial inequality and and protests, civil unrest. There's a lot going on. So how did you work with leaders and guide them through this challenging time?
1: Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. I joined Google in February 2020, the late February 2020. (laughs) So... It always amuses me when people ask, are the Google offices as good as I've heard? It's like, honestly, I have very little concept of that because I did two weeks in the office and then yeah. we closed them down for the next I bet you're like, I can
0: use Google vehicles, I can do my <laughs> laundry there, play video games, and then I, you didn't get to
1: go. <laughs> I, I, I I got more experience of what Google offices look like from the film The Internship than I, than I did from the amount of time I was able to spend there. But it's absolutely true. Like, 2020... 2021 and honestly 2022 were and will continue to be massively challenging for the roles that we do the pandemic at least in knowledge economies knowledge workers we are not ever going back to 2019 as my view that things have changed hugely in terms of how people how people view work how people view the relationship between their role in the business and themselves. This is limited. I wanna just acknowledge there are a lot of people that physically need to continue to be where they are. And so things like hybrid work, it's not going to be something that affects industries to the same degree, but I think where there are roles that can be done remotely, I think hybrid work is here to stay. But the honest answer is we still don't really know because we still haven't truly returned to work except in some limited areas globally. And so people are saying future of work will all be done by June. like Everybody will be back in by June and we'll know. It's like, no, we're probably not going to know for a year because something as simple as commuting, right? I, I haven't commuted properly in over two years now. So I probably got rose-tinted spectacles about what commute was never that bad and I'll happily get back to it. How many people may return to work and then decide the commute, quite frankly, sucks and then be like, well, this is not what I wanted. I need more flexibility.
0: Yeah, it's a lot of time you spend doing stuff like that. Um, yeah it's changed. I I do joke and say, I do still have a commute. It's about two and a half minutes.
1: <laughs> yes. You've got a bigger house than me. Mine, mine's, like, <laughs> mine's like 15 seconds.
0: I gotta get up, brush my teeth, get some coffee, and then I sit down at <laughs> my desk. That's about two minutes. That's an interesting point. I mean, this idea that we probably a large part of the people, work population, may not be going back to an office, at least not full time. that has been a big shift for internal comms, right? It was a huge sort of awakening of, oh no, now we have to meet them in a different space in a different way, right? We have people who now have kids at home that they're teaching We're competing with them doing laundry. Just being humans, we're in that human space. And now we're doing everything digitally. I'm wondering if you just can shed some light on how that first year or two was for you, just trying to like tweak your strategy or think about things differently.
1: For me, with the pandemic, what became super clear, and then was actually reinforced by some of the things we saw with underrepresented communities around the world, quite honestly, was that leader communication became much more important. And that ability to see leaders and for leaders to do town halls and ask me anything and all hands and things on a more regular basis became one of the key ways that we look to tackle that. Because we've put this distance that the screen here imposes on us. And so all those things that were happening in the office, all those get-togethers, they just weren't happening. The risk of leadership is always that they appear remote, right? Because they're so many levels above me or they're over there in this different office in this different country on this different continent. And so, the ability for leaders to focus more of their time and energy on reaching out and connecting through this this screen that we have now to listen—it was so important. And again, the the leader I work with at Google quite honestly taught me as a communications professional some things about listening, about listening, about understanding, and then about doing something about what they were hearing.
0: Can you share some of that? I'd love to. I'd love to hear hear that. The
1: thing that I really discovered was that we all feel a little bit lonelier. Like we all feel a little bit more disconnected. And so just the act of a leader saying, I used to do all hands every month. I'm going to do them every two weeks. And I'm going to spend half of everyone just like listening to your questions and answering your questions. And I'll bring other people in because that's really important. What I'm saying is listening to you is at least as important as the business priorities and the things we need to talk about, because I'm devoting equal time to those two things. And that was super powerful for me. And then what I believe it builds is a rapport between the leader and the employee base, however large that employee base is, whether it's a few hundred, whether it's tens of thousands. The other thing I learned the importance of being able to genuinely answer questions. One of the most interesting tactics I saw was a leader who would bring subject matter experts on, as many of us do for all hands, but he would, at key moments, advocate for the employee view rather than what the subject matter expert would say. So he would listen intently to the question, and if the subject matter expert wasn't answering the question... He would gently prod to say, We need a better explanation on this, or this doesn't make sense, or I feel employees might be thinking this. And again, it builds a level of trust and rapport that the leader is prepared to question the status quo. Now, it, you have to be careful with that because it's really uncomfortable for the subject matter experts to be prodded in this way. So you have to prepare them that this might happen. But ultimately, that then means that you get less of these non-answers and employees tend to really dislike in those sorts of open sessions and forums. I, I believe it was a net positive, even with that discomfort that folks experienced.
0: Yeah, that's such a great point. I feel to me that's been a big part of this pandemic, right? Kind of what you were saying there, not following status quo, right? Taking what's there and saying, well, we can just do that virtually the same way we've always done it because now people are at home. Just hearing my friends who have switched jobs or family with the new employee experience, that's something that pains me to hear that, well, instead of just doing the in-person first day, here's here's the company history and how you register And we can just do it virtually now. And just taking a step back going, is that the best new employee experience we can give? I assume Google was doing very interesting stuff during this time.
1: For a lot of large companies, they would normally bring cohorts of of new starters, nooglers at Google together in person and give them this is a phrase that probably won't work outside the UK but in the UK it's referred to like a sheep dip it's where you you dip that person (laughs) into the culture of the business and and just immerse them in it just enough like not so much that it's overwhelming but enough so that they they start to understand and that's that's much easier to do and so Every company, I believe, has struggled to kind of take that and build something that is equally engaging. It becomes really difficult. It comes back to moving away from that traditional, like, it's three days like you can bring people together for 3 days and sit them down in a big hall and talk to them and have fun activities and like do all these great things and yeah, get them signed up for scavenger
0: hunts and
1: scavenger hunts yeah. get them signed up for their <laughs> benefits and let them go away with a cool hat at the end of it that that says they're new to the business when you move that online you've got to think about it differently and therefore it becomes not free solid days but how do we put this into more bite sized chunks that fit around the many different circumstances that our audience is going to be in. All of the extra logistical challenges of getting things physically to people. And again, it comes back to the employee experience. You know, internal comms can't solve an onboarding experience. HR can't solve it on their own. It takes the IT folks, the HR folks, the comms folks, leaders, all of those people working together to deliver it. But again, I think it's about bite size. I think it's about getting things physically to people in good time and good order, just fulfilling those basics. And then I think it's giving people, again, access to subject matter experts, to leaders, doing some cool things that are just surprise and delight moments that kind of break out of the monotony of kind of just sat at the screen. I think the more we can steer away from sitting people down to watch 15, 20 minute chunks of pre-recorded content, the better.
0: A lot of us who are hybrid or remote fully spend a lot of time on these screens and so find ways to break that up. I have friends and family who zoom for just get togethers or and have been since the beginning of the pandemic and sometimes I just can't sit <laughs> at screen anymore. There has to be a way, you know, even at work to break that up and try something different. Let me ask you, what are you doing in the DEI space to ensure that there's inclusiveness and the stories we're hearing are from a diverse group of people who are in different experiences?
1: I want to start with a disclaimer on this one because despite the job I do, I feel I remain far too ignorant and that I'm not necessarily always doing enough, right? I, because I don't have the experiences that a lot of people I've talked to have had. And so the best I can do is try and empathize, but I've not had those experiences and therefore I will remain ignorant. What I can do is work hard every day to become a little bit less ignorant, to focus on what can I do today. Honestly, both personally and professionally, companies need diversity including inclusion and belonging professionals right they need people who can tell me when I'm doing something wrong or when something that I mean in the very best way is going to be interpreted in a different way that's really important diversity inclusion belonging professionals like I need those to help me understand to help me Better do communications to help my commun- communications be truly more inclusive. Because just as a product of my own experiences, I speak as the ultimate entitlement of British middle aged white guy. <laughs> like, I have to acknowledge yeah. that.
0: Yeah. At the same yeah, I time,
1: I think there's things we can all do, right? So, as professionals, we can focus on our own teams and check in, like, Not just checking, but constantly striving to make our teams more diverse. And there's all sorts of ways we can do that. Broadening our networks on LinkedIn, outside of like the traditional group of folks that we know. That is one way. I'm I'm speaking personally here, not for, for any company. If I would traditionally look to bring five people in for an interview for a job, what therefore is the problem in me finding seven people? and making sure at least two of those people are diverse. like In whatever sense we want to define diversity. Therefore, I'm not disadvantaging anyone. I'm just trying to broaden the pool. And the honest answer is when you do that, you find that those two extra people are additive to the process. It's really about just having the opportunity to help your team become more diverse.
0: I love talking about this to people. I love hearing what other people are doing in this space because I'm like you. <laughs> I know my entitlement. I know where I come from. I'm, I'm, you know, white woman. I know that when I've worked at places that have had their own diversity inclusive office, I partnered with them the way I would partner with like HR and IT. Like they were always in the room with me to help me understand or help guide or help call me in when when I was thinking about things maybe in a not way. And I think that's super important.
1: Yeah, and it it comes down to like helping our leaders understand that as well Mm -hmm. in the company. There's an element of what gets measured gets changed or gets done. And so leaders in a business have an ability to truly drive change and to drive that by measuring and shining a spotlight on and saying, no matter how good any quantitative progress is, that it's, it's not good enough and it's not fast enough and making people feel uncomfortable that we can always move faster, we can always do more to address some of these things. And as communicators, we can help our leaders shape that, help our leaders better listen. And again, it comes back to listen, understand, and then action. And this is one where leaders need to do that. Leaders need to ensure they're listening. They need to ensure their understanding then they need to do something about it.
0: Let's get into our last segment, Asking for a Friend. just asking for a friend. Hey, asking for a friend. Asking for a friend. If I'm a brand new internal communications person sitting here, just sort of doe-eyed and excited... What's one piece of advice you would give me to help me be successful?
1: I might give you two, just just because I'm I'm a I'm a natural rule breaker. The first is to look at how you do things differently. Like we've talked about the what if stuff, but not being satisfied. Looking at your audience, looking at how you surprise and delight your audience. Some of your audience may be watching an HBO series that's called Peacemaker. It's like this very irreverent superhero anti-superhero really series that's on hbo and it opens every episode in the most unsuperhero kind of series way possible with this incredibly awkward dance routine that all the main characters are doing they're all kind of out of character they're just dancing to 80s hair metal band wigwam And I was so fascinated about why that was the artistic choice that they did that I dug out an interview with James Gunn and he said that he did it because he didn't want people to hit that skip intro button that everyone uses now, whether it's on HBO Max, Netflix, Hulu, whoever, that everyone just skips the intro. And so all that hard work of the actors and the talent, like people don't see the names. And so he deliberately said he wanted to do something that was so out there So arresting that people would not hit that skip intro button. And four or five episodes in now, I've not hit that once. And so he's doing it right with me. And for new internal communicators, that's the thing. How do you find ways to arrest your audience? How do you have that peacemaker moment in your communications that makes them not hit the delete button or not hit the skip button? That's my first bit. And then second bit of advice is just Understand who you are and what you love. I, I know it sounds cheesy, but just knowing what's the next thing for you. Some people have career goals and will start as a communicator saying, I want to be a chief communications officer at a major Fortune 500 business. Some people are, are like, have that level of focus. And by the way, I applaud those people because I am not one of them. For me, it's always about what is the thing that that challenge meets me next, that brings me joy, that, like, will get me up out of bed in the morning with a yay rather than a, oh, Lord, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? (laughs) Yeah. My career path has been, it's not been a straight kind of ladder. It's more like watching Pac-Man go through Mm them, go through a maze chased by ghosts. So... (laughs) understanding what is that thing for you. If you've got that clarity, great. If you don't, that's okay. Just figure out what the next thing is that brings you joy.
0: I I hear this a lot when I talk to people on this, this podcast that oftentimes not knowing where you're going next is the right path just because you leave yourself open to so many opportunities. Totally.
1: And lateral moves have become a bit of a, like, that's HR term for you can't get a promotion, so move somewhere else. That's the the cynical kind of view. But honestly, some of my most insightful and productive moments have come from taking a lateral move or from deciding that the next thing that brings me joy is not going from an L4 to an L5 or an L5 to an L6, but You know, if I look back to my time at eBay, like, I always wanted to work for a a US tech company. So I did that. And then the next thing was, I'd love to work in the US. And so that became my career aspiration, not, I need a promotion. It's, how can I find a role that I'll love that I can do from the United States? that's really important and that was the thing that bring me joy and that opened up so many more opportunities down the road
0: yeah i think that's a great piece of advice don't foo foo with those opportunities just because you think that's not what you're supposed to be i think that that's fantastic that's a great piece of advice i have truly enjoyed this conversation i've learned i know what sheep dip is now <laughs> it's been a lot of fun i'm going to try to i'm going to try to use that in a sentence today at some point
1: you will just confuse Americans. I have a list of banned UK words that I don't use when I'm talking to people from the US. Sheep dip was on it pretty early.
0: Okay, that's good to know. That's good to know. But I, I'm gonna to try to use innocent and be like, oh, you don't know what sheep dip is? Well let, let me tell you. <laughs> but this has been a lot of fun, a lot of great stuff. I, I really enjoy hearing your stories and listening to to your expertise. But before I let you go, where can our listeners find you if they want to reach out?
1: LinkedIn is always the the very best way to reach me. Search Ben Matthews and NVIDIA and you will find me. If you've turned up the climate, the world-renowned climate scientist, Ben Matthews, that's not me. Although sometimes I wish it was.
0: I reach out to them and ask for some communications advice. I'm sure it happens a lot. Yes. <laughs> well, thank you again, Jen, for joining me. This has been great.
2: No worries. Thank you for um, thank you for the chat. Thank you again for listening to this episode of the Cohesion Podcast brought to you by simpler. Simply the modern intranet software that simplifies the employee experience. Learn more about how Simpler can help you build the future of your employee experience at Simpler.com. That's s-i-n-p-p-l-r.com. To all of our listeners out there, thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, make sure to hit subscribe, leave a review, and head over to www.simpler.com slash podcast for more information until next time you're listening to the cohesion podcast brought to you by simpler see you in the next episode